I'm actually up here to introduce a guest speaker this morning. As you can see, Pastor Nate is not here. And so we have a guest speaker who really isn't a guest at all. He's actually very near and dear to so many of us, including Pastor Nate. He uh, fellowshiped with us at a lot of, um, there's a few of us who planted a church from another church called Mosaic. And we got to worship with him for decades. And I can tell you, um, Mr. Alvin Brown, Pastor Alvin Brown, he's walked through a really hard trying time in my life. He walked through that with me. And so I can attest that this man loves Jesus. He loves the church. He loves his community. And he's actually uh, planting a church, Mosaic Fort Worth, that he just launched. We actually got to pray for him uh, on this day or on the other stage. And he was a part of our first launch. So he is near and dear to this family. And we are so honored to have him bring the word. So if you would uh, welcome with me, Pastor Alvin Brown. Thank you, Dee, and good morning. I'm going to take a few moments to set up here. Good morning. Is this thing on? Yeah, it's on. Okay. Well, give us a minute to get set up here. Um, one, I am so glad to be here with you today. Because two years ago, I was with you in the other location. So I have seen you grow. I've seen you grow from that infancy stage to the toddler stage, we'll call it for now. And so with that, uh, speaking of family, I want to introduce you to my family. Yeah, these, this, is, this is my crew here. Um, I have found favor with the Lord. I have found favor with the Lord with my beautiful bride, of Mallory Brown, of 13 years and counting. And with that, we have three kiddos, the one that I almost have the Texas chokehold on, not quite. Uh, he's our oldest, Ian. He is a football player. He's 10 years of age. The other one, which is mommy's boy, Seth. Seth Robert, or Sethy as we love to call him. He is nine. And then the one that runs the show. Oh, that with that red hair, she runs the show. Mila is her name, and she is seven years of age. And so I thank you all for your time coming out this morning, not for me, but for Jesus, for God. And so the reason I show you that pic um, is because the st statistically, statistics say that if I show you pics of my family, you will listen to me more attentively. <laughs> all right, so here we go. Hey, I'm going to start our time out in a word of prayer here, and then we'll dive into today's message. So, Father, I stand here, Lord, as your messenger. Lord, we thank you. We thank you not only for what you've done, for what you're doing, and what you will continue to do in the lives of those here at Vintage Church and throughout your kingdom. But Father, we thank you for being God and God alone. For being God and God alone. And so Father, as I stand here as your messenger, I pray, Father, that you would give me concision of speech, Father, clarity of mind, purity and compassion, of heart to communicate your gospel truths. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm excited to be here with you all today as we continue in the series in Ephesians called Stronger. And you likely have your booklet with you, and if not, go ahead, get that booklet or get some sort of, of uh, notepad or pencil to take, take notes with. I'm excited here because you and I, we have been learning, we will continue to learn about 
the spiritual warfare and how we can use the armor of God to overcome spiritual forces that seek to oppose you and I in our lives. Now, I am a participatory guy here. I need you to talk back. If you talk back, we're out in 30 minutes. If you don't, we're here for the next three hours. There we go. There we go. Talk back out now by show of hands. How many of you know that we live in a physical world? Now, look, y'all, that ought to be everybody's hands in this room. If you don't know that you live in a physical world, just come and see me at the conclusion of this sermon, and I'll pray for you about that given thing. Sure will. But though we live in a physical world, that is a world that is a seen realm, what we see with our eyes. See, the Bible teaches us that there is this other world. There is a spiritual world, a spiritual realm, what we can't see with our eyes, where a war rages. This war is between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of what? Darkness. 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 Let that sit on you for a minute. Darkness, that which you can't see, that's the weightiness of the spiritual realm. And so in this series, you and I, we will be challenged and have been challenged weekly from the Bible about how to engage in a practical sense, but also in a spiritual sense about the war that is raging all around us. We're not short on war these days. In fact, we look at Ukraine, Sudan, Israel, just to name a few, or perhaps Perhaps we can actually just come a little bit closer to home, a little bit closer to home, get up close and personal with this war that is raging in our what? Our hearts. See, our hearts, they rage with war, if not with ourselves, then with others, maybe a spouse. Don't nudge anybody. Maybe your child, maybe your neighbor, maybe your coworker. And if you don't know who that is or you're like, I don't have anybody that I'm warring with, it might be you that they're warring with. But make no mistake about it, a war rages on whether in the physical or spiritual realms. Amen? Which is timely for today's message on spiritual warfare as we'll aim our hearts to explore this given big idea, which is this. We win spiritual battles by using the tools God has given us to overcome the enemy. We win spiritual battles by using the tools God has given us to overcome the enemy. Now, before we dive into today's message, uh, let's go back. Let's go back just about six weeks ago when we started in week one and we learned about the enemy. We learned who the enemy was and we learned the topology, the landscape in which the enemy operates, which then we fast forward from week one to week two and we started talking about the belt of truth, see, which emphasizes the importance of truth and integrity and honesty as an essential component of a strong and a resilient faith that helps us to withstand challenges in the opposition. Then we moved on to week three where we talked about the breastplate of righteousness and how how this breastplate, how it serves to guard us against spiritual attacks. 
and the corruption of sin leading us into that life of purity, that life of integrity and confidence that we can find only in Jesus, in Jesus alone. Then in week three, we put on our walking shoes, y'all. We put our shoes of peace on. And we learn that peace is something that we not only put on, but it helps us wherever we go. When we go to engage with people, or like I love to say in Fort Worth, Texas, where we engage with people, where we work, where we live, where we play. See, it's not a matter of if you're going to engage. It's when and how you'll go about engaging and with the heart from why it is you engage. And so we are called to walk in peace by making peace to those around us. Which then leads us to week five, the shield of faith. And how we are to take this up at every situation. Don't leave home without the shield of faith. Many of us leave at home without this, uh, the, the, um, the uh, shield of spiritual faith here. And what happens is we get out there and in the great words of uh, theologian Mike Tyson, we all have a plan until we what? get hit in the face. And that's how some of us approach life. We have, we have the shield of faith and we forget it and run out there and we're ready to fight and we're out. We're the next news segment that has gone wrong. Don't leave home without your shield of faith. Week six, we learned about the helmet of salvation. So important. The helmet of salvation helps us to understand not only who we are, but whose we are whose we are in Christ Jesus. This protects our identity in Christ Jesus, and this is so crucial because this is what helps us to know who we are, whose we are, as we engage in spiritual battle. Which brings us to today, week seven, where we'll discover and examine the sixth piece of armor highlighted in Ephesians chapter six, verses 10 through 17, which I'm going to read all of it. And it reads, finally, be strengthened by the Lord and his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, oh no, but, our, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness. Against evil, spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that so that you may be able to resist the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand, the word of God says, therefore, with the truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like the armor on your chest and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. In this last verse, 17, take the helmet of salvation or, is that what it says? Take up the salvation because, no, take up the helmet and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God and all God's people say to the reading take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit which is the word of God now you have to remember and be able to really break down and rightly divide this scripture to understand that Paul lists the armor in a deliberate 
order. Hence, if you don't put on your helmet, you're going to have trouble understanding who you are and what you're meant to do. And even more importantly, how are you going to use the word of God if you don't know who you are and whose you are? We can't. We will end up misusing it. We will weaponize it in a way that it was never meant to be used. And so we have to understand that the sword, out of all things listed here, it's the only item, the one and only item that Paul lists as a weapon of primarily offensive strategy. Everything else is built to protect you. And so look, even if, even if you have on all the armor, but you don't have on the, you don't carry with you this sixth piece of armor, then you're just as good as just being out there running around looking like an armored heavy person who can't do anything, right? And when I think about that image of being out there without the sword, it makes me think about my childhood favorite pastime, dodgeball. Oh, man, I love some dodgeball. I love some dodgeball with all my heart. Well, uh, the Lord, but you get what I'm saying. I love dodgeball. But what's the thing about dodgeball? How do you win in dodgeball? You can win one or two ways. One way is you play the defensive position and you're just ready, always ready to catch the ball. You catch the ball, the thrower is out. You're out of there. But the best way to win dodgeball is to have that ball in your hand. Have the sword of the Bible in your hand, ready to go on the offense, right? Because listen, if it's me, if it's D, if it's Pastor Nate, and we're all playing up against one person, They can't catch them all three at the same time, and if they are, Lord, hey, listen, let me know what the trick is because we're going to can that up and go sell it to the world. But they can't catch the ball at the same time, not all three. And so you don't, while it's good to play defense, you need to play offense. We need to activate God's word. And so that being said, see, how it serves us well to know the attributes, the rules, and dodgeball to know that you want to be the last person holding that ball to be able to throw somebody out. It's the same with having the sword of the Spirit. See, the Word of God allows us to overcome and win spiritual battles. And so why would Paul, out of all things, compare the sword of the Spirit, God's Word, why would he compare it to a sword? Why? And I think we have to go back in context. Paul has been in jail many times. Paul has had many run-ins with Roman soldiers. Matter of fact, while Paul is likely writing, he's likely eyeing down a Roman soldier, which is standing right there, standing guard, going, he's not getting out. So he had time on his hands to observe the characteristics of that Roman soldier, to observe the characteristics of that sword as he looked intently at it. So why would Paul compare the sword? I think the better question would likely be, what is the purpose? So before we answer the why, let's go to what the purpose of the sword is in terms of serving that Roman soldier. And so when Paul, I can imagine he's looking at him intently and and he looks and he's like the sword, the gladius as it's known. Many of you probably remember a popular TV show by the, um, by the name of the American Gladiator. That's where Gladius comes from. Gladiator, Gladius, 
gladiator, glad eye, gladius, gladiator, right? And so Paul is likely looking and Paul is saying, oh man, look at this. This Roman sword, this sword is called the gladius and it's known as the sword that conquered the world. Now let that sink in, the sword that conquered the world. And just as the same as the sword has conquered the world, it is the very same thing about God's word. It can conquer the world when we activate it. Not only that, it was adapted by design from a Spanish design, matter of fact, and it was used for hand-to-hand combat. You've got to get close. It does mean no good if I'm standing here, and let's say this confidence monitor, and I'm trying to engage with it in war with a sword that is only yay long. I'm not going to do any damage to it. I've got to get up close and personal if I'm going to war and battle and defeat and overcome the enemy. And with that, because when I get up close and personal, the sword is sharp, double-edged. Remember, you're carrying the shield of faith and you have this double edge. You can jab, you can swing it either way and cut from either side, right? It's tapered, it's pierced. And in some instances, because you get close to coast in, in, in combat, because it is pierced, in some cases it had a little hook on the end. And sorry to be grotesque, but when you stab somebody in the abdomen, you could pull out their intestines. Now, I know if we had some little boys in here, they'd be like, oh, cool, dad, can we go get a gladius today? No, 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 no. Now, while it could do that, Paul also recognized that he put it in the sheath to protect himself from doing damage to him own self. And so now we have to ask, why is it that when Paul looked at such a fierce weapon, he would associate it to the sword called the sword of the spirit? And I think Paul knows a little something that we're going to come to know, and it's this, that he associates the word as a spiritual weapon because he knows that if we know God's word and we actively use it in spiritual battles, we will win. Hands down, we win. But we have to remember, we have to be fully suited in all of the armor, not a piece of the armor, not parts of the, all of the armor. Which leads us to knowing God's word, which is based on two different words. Logos, or what some would look at and go, man, in the English, that look like logos, man. What is God talking about, logos? No, logos in rhema. And the Logos word of God is the Bible itself. And so you might remember in week two where you learned about the belt of truth. See, this is the Logos word that is written, the written word of God. Matter of fact, in John chapter one, it says, in the beginning was the word Logos, and the word Logos was with God, and the word Logos was God. The word, the word, the word, the word. We must have the Logos word with us. And now that we know about Logos, let's go to Rama. Rama is a spoken word. In other words, it is God's word for our given personal situation. See, Rama is revelation. It's not just information. You can have your Bible there, but if God doesn't reveal to you how to apply it to your life, it's nothing but a doorstop to your life. So no, we must pick up God's word. We must know God's logos, his rhema word. 
And the rhema word of God is scripture in that personal application as we see in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. As you can read it there on the screen. For the word, rhema, of God is living and effective and sharper than any double-edged sword. Penetrating as far as the separation of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, it is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. And see, in week, in week one, we learn the simple fact of this. The enemy's most effective weapon is a lie that you and I, we believe. Now, when I say that word lie, likely is the case you, you, you already kind of have a good definition of what a lie is, but might I submit to you this, that while the enemy's tactic is to give us a lie, in most cases, most of us fall for what is known as half-truths. You see how that hits your heart? It really doesn't hit as hard as a lie. But what do we know about half-truths? What are half-truths? They're whole lies. Half-truths are whole lies. So if you bargain for the half-truth, what you've essentially said is, I've bargained for the whole lie. And see, these lies, the lies, the invisible labels that we wear, that, that we allow ourselves to put on, see, they shape the people we become in the lives that we live. Matter of fact, they do more than that. They shape our relationship, our theology, our view of God. See, those lies begin to shape that, have how we view God, how we relate to God, and then that plays itself out into how we see ourselves and how we see others and relate to others in God. And know this, if we're deceived, then we're vulnerable to temptation. See, as soon as we give in to temptation, the very same enemy who tempted us then turns around and guess what he does? He accuses us. He accuses us. And then he'll double down on that same lie that we've already believed. And guess what he does? It's three easy things. He deceives us. He accuses us. He tempts us. Deceive, tempt, and accuse. Though that's the playbook. If I can get you to believe a half-truth, then I can walk away because you've believed the whole lie. And the only power, the only power our spiritual enemies have over us is the fact that we give the enemy the power. That's it. See, God has given us the authority. And what Paul lets us know is that we need to armor up, we need to have our word in our hand and do what? Take back the power. That song, I got the power. That song right there, yeah, take back the power. I got the power. Yeah, I can do that all day. Octave, octave, octave. We have to take back the power from the enemy. But first, don't give it to him. Don't give it to him. God has given you the authority to resist the attacks of the enemy with this armor and go on the what? The offensive. And by calling the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, see Paul, what he's doing, he's joining two infinite resources together. The Holy Spirit and the word of God. So let's talk through what these two infinite resources, the Holy Spirit and the word of God. First, you have the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is in you when you are in Christ. See, it is through the Holy Spirit that Jesus fulfills the promise to never leave us nor forsake us. See, he's been called the Spirit of Wisdom and Revelations. And you likely don't have a slide for this, but 
John chapter 14, 26, it says, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. See, the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Jesus also calls the Holy Spirit the truth. The truth. So in John chapter 16, 13, it reads, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you in all truth, for he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare what is to come. And see, what's the best way to combat the deceptive schemes of the enemy? What's the best way? The truth. The truth. And the Holy Spirit just doesn't give us a way. Some of us, we look at life and we go, well, let's look on the brighter side of things. No, that's not what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit says, I'm going to give you truth and everything else will fall to the ground. He gives us that reality, a true reality. He helps us to see things, to see people, to see ourselves the way things are, the way he wrote them and meant for them to be. That's the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, who lives in you and can live in you when you're in Christ Jesus. The second one, the word of God. We come back to the word. It's so unlimited, and yet so many of us leave it untapped daily. Nothing has the power to shape our lives, more so shape our minds and transform our hearts than scripture and scripture alone. I love podcasts. I love Instagram reels. I love the verse of the day. But guess what? Nothing will ever take the place of God's holy word. That's the source of truth. Not our pundits, not any of those. No, the holy word of God. That's where we come back to. Somebody tells you, let's bring it back. Let's bring it back. Let's bring our hearts back. Let's bring our spot. Let's bring everything back to the word of God. In Hebrews 4.12, see, it says, for the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires, our heart's desires, and our heart is a fickle place. It is. It is a fickle place. And left alone, our real, the real person will show up. The real person will show up. And you can dress up, look nice, wear nice shoes, but your heart is going to be put on display. More importantly, not only to you and others, but before God. God's word is alive. The word of God is sharper than two-edged sword that Paul was looking at as he eyed intently that Roman soldier. And see, he knew it was perfect for close combat. Again, we're meant to will, to go on the offensive, and to take back what we've given away to the enemy. And see, Paul, once again, he places the onus on who? Not the soldier. Not Paul, but us. It's up to us. When we're in spiritual battle, it is up to us to engage, to activate the holy word of God. We must read our word, study our word, meditate on our word, pray on our word, put it into action. And how do we do this? I just told you many different ways, but one of the ways, one of the most important ways is through your mouth. You speak 
things into existence. I'll never be that. Well, you probably won't. You probably won't. You're right. That's one thing that I go, whatever comes out of your mouth, you're, you're probably right. You're right. And so another thing that we know about the word is that the word can not only when spoken, see, for us to be able to speak this word, our minds have to be renewed. Our hearts have to be transformed. As in Romans 12, 2, where Paul says, do not be conformed to this age. Do not be conformed by this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, pleasing, and the perfect will of God. That's not a renewing of the mind that's just one time. That's daily. And that's not one time a day. That's hourly, and that's not hour. That's minute by minute, second by second. I remember a story where I was teaching my, my oldest. He would get so angry. He would just start to shake. I'm like, don't stop breathing. You stop breathing, like, we're going to have problems. And sometimes he would stop breathing and hit the floor, and we hit him with some water, and he'd come back. And I go, hey, buddy, how is this working for you? You get so angry that you're falling. Like, nothing has changed since the time you got angry. You fell out. We threw some water on you, and you stood back up. Nothing changed. How is this anger? What must we do? He's like, I've got to renew my mind. I was like, you're right. You got your mind on the wrong thing. You got your mind on the wrong thing. You, you, we want what we want to the point that we're willing to endanger ourselves. That's tough. And so we began praying over him. He began praying for himself. And by the grace of God, he, he's not had those episodes since he was a toddler. And now he's 10. And he knows how to do that. Why? Because he's speaking God's word. He's praying God's word. He's applying God's word. And see, that's what Paul understood. Paul understood what we would call the power of neuroplasticity before we did. See, long before we even understood that term, what it really is saying, Paul understood how to reshape the mind. How to reshape the mind from trauma, from bad things learned, from bad things that have happened to us, and to shape it towards a more positive end, an end in Christ Jesus. And so, listen, we no longer have to be subject to every fleeting thought, to every whim of the flesh, and every lie or half truth from the enemy. We don't have to subject ourselves to that, no. And so I'm going to quickly share with you three things of how to overcome the lies of the enemy. So three ways to overcome the lies of the enemy. Number one, know the word. Know the word. Know the word. Read the word daily. King David, who made, Lord have mercy, so many mistakes, so many mistakes, and yet he was still a God after, uh, he was still a man after God's own heart. He also learned that in the end, the secret to overcoming his lies, his sinful ways, was knowing the word. In fact, in, in Psalms 119, verses 11 through 16, it says, in my heart, I have hidden your word. We must hide God's word in our hearts so that I may not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Yahweh. Teach me. He's speaking. Lord, teach me your statutes with my lips. 
I have told all the ordinances of your mouth, and in the way of your testimonies, I have rejoiced as I would over all riches. I will meditate on your precepts, meditate on your rules, your commands, your holy word daily, and look at your ways. I will take delight in your statutes, and I will not forget your word. We can't forget God's word. We can't forget to apply God's word, to know God's word, right? And so now that we know God's word, what must we do? The second way that you overcome it is to speak it, what David was doing when he said, teach me your statutes, when he said, with my lips, we must speak God's word. In 2 Timothy uh, chapter 4, verse 2, it says, preach the word. If there's anybody that you're going to go preach to first, preach to self. Preach to self. It must preach to you first before it'll preach and impact and transform anybody else's mind or life. And people know. People know whether you're living out, you're studying, you're reading God's word because it will manifest in your life. It will. And so he says, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience. Something that our culture doesn't necessarily do so well patience. Some of you right now are going, man, I wish you'd hurry up and sit down. Patience. Patience. Have a little patience, right? So we must have patience when we are applying, when we are speaking, knowing, speaking God's word. And so Paul tells Timothy there in in Timothy to be ready to speak the word at all times. And this means that this can be applied not only to our lives, but to the lives of others, but it first starts with us. It first starts with us. And what we mean by speak out loud, we have to speak out loud in such a way that we go, guess what? Speak it out, because who did? Jesus did. Well, Pastor, when did Jesus speak out the word? I'm going to take you right there to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. Jesus and the devil, they square off, and it was already won. It was already over before it even began. But let's take a look at it. See, Jesus, Jesus demonstrated this when tempted by the devil. Jesus knew he was, and he knew the scripture. He knew who he was in God. He knew his identity. He knew the word because he is the word. And in Matthew 4, verses 5 through 7, it says, Then the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will give his angels orders concerning you, and they will support you with their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. You know what Jesus told him? Jesus said, it is also written. Not, so look at that. The enemy comes to you. He's going to come to you with the half truth. But you have to also know the word yourself so that you can go, let me turn your half truth into a whole truth. See, he's saying it is written, the enemy is, and Jesus comes back and says, oh, it is also written. The devil's going to talk, not if, but when. And we must know God's word so that we can, we can basically go out to the devil and go, give me your best shot. Oh, that's a half truth. Now let me go ahead and give you the whole truth of that which you just gave me. Right? And right after Jesus told him not to test the Lord, the devil come back. He, that one time... He turned right back around and came back to him in in verses 8 through 11, where it says, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. And he said to him, I will give you all these things if you will fall away and worship me. 
Then Jesus told him, get out of here. Go away, Satan. And guess what happened? For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And the devil left him. Now, have you ever noticed in your own life the devil persists with you? You can get up and pray, Lord, I'm going to be the most patient person today. And I guarantee you, before you leave the house, it might be some little people. It might be some bigger people. But it's going to be some people that are going to get on your nerves. And you might get on your nerves. And if that is, well, we'll pray about that too. But the point is, someone, somebody, the enemy is going to try you in spiritual warfare. Going to try you. And so you have to know that it's not just a one-time thing. You're going to have to be ready for the attack multiple times. And in fact, in this story, see, the devil came at Jesus three times before Jesus basically told him, get on out of here with that. Go somewhere else. But notice, Jesus never negotiated. He didn't say, hey, if you, listen, if you let me do this this time, will you leave me alone forever? No. No. He got hit with a half-truth, and he said, I'm going to square you up on a whole old truth, and bye. Go. Be dismissed. That's us. We cannot negotiate with the enemy. We cannot negotiate over a power we have been given to by the authority of God. We cannot negotiate that. And that's it. That's, it's that simple. We must know the word of God, must know what is written, and be able to tell the devil what's written and go away. Which leads me to my third and my final point. We must learn how to apply the word. You know the word. You speak the word. Now let's apply it. Let's apply it. Following this encounter with the enemy, Jesus went and began his earthly ministry, bringing truth and healing and freedom to many people, and many people believed. And the same thing happened in the early church of Acts. Matter of fact, our church and I were were going through a 12-week study on Acts. And the beautiful thing about it is that as they begin to live out their lives spirit-filled by the Holy Spirit, we see that when we live our lives according to God, when we are in spiritual warfare and we armor up, and we have the sword of the Spirit with us, and we're walking rightly aligned with God, we see that people's lives are transformed. Our lives are transformed, and because of the Holy Spirit empowering us, he's, he's allowing us to reach other people. That being said, in Acts 2, Peter proclaims the gospel, and over 3,000 are saved, and it's a few chapters later in chapter uh, 4 that 5,000 more, 5,000 more hear the gospel and receive it for the first time. So much so that in Acts 6, 7, it reads, So the word of God spread. The disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in manner, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. That's what happens when we apply God's living, God's holy word, and we share it. See, in Romans, in Romans 10, verses 14 through 15 and 17, it reads, How then can they call on him they have not believed in? How can they believe without hearing from him? How can they hear without a preacher? How can they preach unless they are sent, unless we plant, do what you're doing, do what God, God sent us to do in Fort Worth? How can we preach unless we're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. How beautiful are your feet? Anybody want to take your shoes off? Show me. How beautiful are your feet? I go, how beautiful are your feet, not physically, spiritually? Are you the bearer of good news? Are you the bearer of peace? Are you the bearer of the message of Christ? 
See, one of the greatest things that we can do to defeat the power of darkness is to play our part, do our part, carrying forth the gospel. And when we do, the Holy Spirit will do a work, a work in only which he can do to transfer people from darkness into his light. And that requires us to know the word, to speak the word, to apply the word, to share the gospel. And the more you share it with others, the more it takes hold in your own heart. And that's harder for the enemy to hit you with a half lie or a half truth, rather. And this is why, this is why we must know the word, speak the word, and apply God's word. So as I close, listen, you and I, we, you and I, we must put on our helmet of salvation. We have to know who we are, but more importantly, whose we are in Christ Jesus. So that, so that we can boldly and confidently wield the sword of the Spirit. And when we do, you know what we'll do? We'll plunder hell, populate heaven, and we will defeat the enemy with his lie once and for all. Thank you for listening to this message. You can stay connected with us at Vintage.Church or on Facebook by searching Vintage Church TX. At Vintage, we believe church is more than a place or a weekend activity. It's a spiritual family where Jesus is the center of our lives personally and our relationships collectively. If you're in the Liberty Hill area, we would love to have you join us this week. You can learn more about us, our service time, and plan your visit by visiting Vintage.Church slash Liberty Hill. We hope to see you soon.